Hello and welcome to another episode of the EDS at Union Now podcast. In today's episode, Dean Kelly Brown Douglas will continue the Being Church in the Time of COVID-19 series where she brings attention to the underlying issues of injustice, poverty, and racism that this crisis has exposed. Today, Dean Douglas is speaking with Union Theological Seminary's President Serene Jones. President Jones gives us an update on what's happening on campus, and we hear how Union's been helping students move off or stay on campus, and she gives us an inside look on the seminary's decision-making process through this pandemic. A video version of this podcast is also available on the EDS at Union Facebook page and the Union Theological Seminary YouTube channel. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe to EDS at Union now wherever you listen to podcasts and help us spread the word by sharing the show with your friends and family. And with that, here is our conversation with Dean Kelly Brown Douglas. Thank you for joining us in the third of our Facebook Live Conversations on being church in the time of COVID-19. I am Kelly Brown Douglas, the Dean of the Episcopal Divinity School at Union Theological Seminary in New York. And I am privileged to have joining me in this afternoon's conversation, my colleague, my dear friend, and the president of Union Theological Seminary in New York City, Dr. Serene Jones. Thank you, Serene, for being a part of this conversation. Hello, I'm glad to be here. Great. There is so much. (laughs) I'm sorry? In a virtual world. Exactly. Yes. We are all discovering new ways to be connected uh, to one another and new ways to be seminary and if not be church, which leads me actually, Serene, to the first question uh, that I wanna ask you. And that is, as you think about this crisis as not only president of Union, but as a theologian, as you are uh, a professor of theology at Union, what would you say it means to be church in this time of COVID-19? Well, Kelly, the ideal answer to that question is the church in COVID-19 should be the church that it is all of the time, Mm -hmm. which the church whose sole purpose is to witness to the reality of God's love in the world, which means enacting and participating in the coming of God's justice in every single way we can find in every nook and cranny and corner of our lives. Um, That's what it means to be church. The church is witness to that love in justice. Um, In COVID-19, it means a particular set of things, but um, the mission of the church is one and has always been one that we've often failed at. Great, I I so appreciate uh, that response, Serene, because I think in so many ways, you know, who we are as church is uh, aspirational. And even as we think of the way in which churches have been uh, closed down and we can't worship together, et cetera. But that's only a small part uh, of what it means to be church in the world. And so I appreciate so much your answer because what it means to be church before COVID and after COVID is the same if we live into being church. As we are in this moment of 
churches having to go remote, you and I who are so used to seeing each other on a daily basis, uh, now are uh, only able to interact remotely. We have watched schools and colleges and universities uh, quickly changing over to online education in response again to this crisis. So first, let me ask you before we dive a little more deeply into this new reality, what has have you seen as the biggest challenge uh, in addressing this crisis as uh, president of Union Theological Seminary as we move online? Well, the, the two biggest challenges are uh, pretty simple ones. The first is that as president of Union, when I went to president school, they had no section on how to deal with a community under the conditions of a pandemic. <laughs> uh, that most of the decisions I've had to make, I have made um, without any experience to be building on and have had to do it in collaboration with others who also have no experience. Um, the second hardest thing about what we've had to do at Union and everywhere in response to this is um, I received a note on a Sunday evening saying that um, because of, of situations on campus at Columbia, they were closing the next two days and they were going to go virtual on Wednesday. And because we work so closely with Columbia, I knew that we had to, in, because of our proximity, follow that protocol. So I had about five minutes um, to make the decision to shut the campus for two days and then to turn us remote on Wednesday. Um, and then ever since then, every single day has held decisions that I've never had to make before. And the, the, the rapidity, the, 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 the quick force with which one is forced to make decisions is disorienting. You don't have time to contemplate it and um, ponder it for a week or two. You're making decisions on the spot in the minute and you're always having before you, how do you minimize harm and how do you protect people? Well, I, I was hoping you would say that, and I was going to emphasize that. It seems that the signature of leadership in relationship to uh, Union, as well as other colleges and universities that we can see, is that it be, starts from the place of how we minimize harm uh, to others and what our ethical responsibility is. And that's what, in this sense, physical distancing is all about and remote learning at this point is all about. And that is our ethical responsibility to our neighbors. And this crisis is revealed that we are all neighbors and we are all connected one to another. Serene, as we've moved online and as people are now teleworking and telecommuting and virtually uh, the country has virtually gone online and uh, everyone is working remotely. People are also pointing to the benefits of that and how in so many respects, we perhaps should have been doing more online, particularly in protecting our environment. And so we are reducing commuting uh, with cars and uh, uh, et cetera. And others are saying that online education is a future whose time has come. Can you speak to that? What are, what's the benefit, but also what might be lost if we go completely online in the future? 
So I think for many seminaries, uh, going completely online will be the future. Um, but one of the things that I mourn the loss of most profoundly, um, of course, I mourn the deaths and the disease that's all around us in New York, but I mourn the loss of community that is a physical community. And I, I mourn seeing people's faces. You know, in a way, even though it's not a class, um, you and I and the whole administration at Union and EDS have had to communicate uh, via Zoom for all of our meetings. Right. It's a wonderful technology in that what would otherwise just be Kelly Brown Douglas's voice suddenly becomes your face and your smile and your wonderful way of being in the world. And that is something that so far enhances what we're able to do across time and space. The downside is though, and I've noticed this just from my own endless hours on Zoom, again, not taking classes, but talking to others, is it's exhausting. Yeah. And you, there's something that happens between people in a room together that has to do with shared energy. I think a lot of it we're not even conscious of, but somehow we're feeding and supporting and interacting with each other at an energetic level that isn't there when there's a screen between us and when I can't, when my heart can't feel your heart beating and when we're not breathing together. Now, granted, the fact that we're not breathing together and our hearts beating in the same room is saving our lives. Um, but as a model forever, um, I think a lot would be lost. No, I, again, uh, I appreciate that. I, many of us have uh, talked about how draining uh, it is, it is uh, living life on Zoom uh, and couldn't quite figure it out. But I think you have put your finger on it. There's something that happens. It is a shared energy uh, that relationship and relationality uh, brings forward. And I think that one of the things we are learning through this COVID crisis uh, is how we have taken certain things for granted uh, and the importance of relationships uh, and the importance of community and being together in uh, real embodied ways, I think is something that we will now come, I hope, to appreciate even more. Yes. Serene, Union is known as a place where faith and scholarship, as Union likes to say, meet to reimagine the work of justice. This COVID pandemic is as much a social justice crisis as it is a health crisis. And we can see one of the other downsides of Zoom is that you're working from home and telephones ring. And I forgot that I had an, uh, a landline in the house. Who knew? Uh, but one of the things I will continue that this COVID uh, pandemic has revealed to us is the ongoing social justice crises in this country that has often been ignored, such as the it's a health crisis, yes, but we've had an ongoing crisis, health crisis, and that there are many people who don't have access to health care. We have seen how the inequality in this country has been, again, revealed uh, in a real raw way by this crisis. That is uh, the inequality of education, 
uh, and people who are lost, left behind by the digital divide, uh, people who don't have access uh, to homes, the homeless, uh, people are saying shelter in place. What does that mean for someone who is homeless? Uh, and so I'm wondering, as this has revealed these ongoing uh, crisis of injustice, what are the ways that we should be preparing persons for ministry that perhaps we have not been preparing them before in a world where injustice and inequality is an ongoing pandemic? That, that is a great question because injustice and oppression and the many social harms that destroy the human fabric of our globe are ongoing at pandemic levels all the time. Um, I always try to refer to COVID-19 as not just a health crisis, but a public health crisis in the sense that it is attack on our health. It has a medical um, uh, calculus to it. Um, you, you can look at its um, molecular makeup. You can talk about its cures and its tests, but it's also not just a health crisis, it's public. And the minute it becomes a public health crisis means all of the crises that live in the space of the public, hmm. which is the space that we all occupy together are right there in the health issues. They can't be separated from one another. So if you have bad health care, you have no health care, COVID-19 comes along, you are even more vulnerable. Um, you live in a place where you can't get clean water. You have six people living in a single room together. The COVID-19 crisis comes along and that becomes an additional health crisis, an additional um, reality of gross injustice in this world. So um, in, in the combining of this notion of public health, we realize that justice is always sitting right next side to science and to the, our understanding of how bodies work and what makes for health. So what does that mean for how we train students for the ministry? Because our, in many ways, this crisis has revealed uh, the way in which the faith community has not responded already to the ongoing injustice in this country, because this has happened on our watch. Uh, and so what are the lessons that we are to learn from this? Will this help us to rethink or do, uh, the way we prepare students? What, what might union do differently so I've given a lot of thought to this about union specifically and also the broader church. I think at union that we do a good job of alerting and immerse, alerting our students to and immersing them in the many forms of injustice and oppression um, that are in our world today and how um, faith isn't just, they're not just add-ons to faith, but faith exists in the midst of them and pressures um, the world to move against them. So at Union, we get that part of it. Um, but one of the things that we have at Union, like many seminaries, our curriculum is built off a humanities curriculum in which we mostly um, study scripture, literature, history, philosophy, theology, ethics. Um, but we don't have as robust a curriculum in related areas. Like for instance, if the world we're seeing now is a glimpse of the world to come, we need to have a course in public health and church. 
we need to have a course in echo justice and church that is taught once a year and no student should be able to graduate without having that course just like we require our students to have a course in clergy misconduct these are essentials for being church in the world today and those two areas are especially the area of public health is one that union has simply missed great Hopefully others will also hear uh, get that message. I think you're so right. And the world uh, that we now find ourselves in uh, is the world as it is. And we will certainly face perhaps not this generation, but there will be other uh, pandemics. Uh, and so in as much as we are not prepared as a people and ready as a faith community, uh, in terms of allowing certain injustices to fester, uh, then we will never be prepared for another pandemic of this nature. So we, you know I what I found over here, just what, quick in here is that um, I don't think theology students for the most part or theologians know much about public health as a discipline, but some of my good friends and colleagues over the years in public health have been some of the most informed and radical and social justice seeking people that I know. Um, it is a very connected field and it's one that right now has the potential to save a lot of lives, but it is, it is a place where the union soul would feel very comfortable dwelling. And I guess what we're talking about is uh, really understanding the necessity of these kind of partnerships and dialogues. Uh, beyond, yes, the academy, beyond this, the discipline that is theology or Bible, et cetera, because uh, as we like to say at EDS at Union, uh, as Union does, uh, social justice is the gospel. It's not the add-on. And mm -hmm. so that means that we have to be fully engaged in the world and engaging with all aspects of what it means to uh, be human and to live. So. I want to let that be a lead in. I want to now uh, get you to put even more on your theological uh, cap. Because there are questions of theology that have emerged uh, during this crisis. Uh, we know that there are those who are saying that God has sent this pandemic upon the world as a punishment for various sins. We have heard this kind of theological thinking before in relationship to particular uh, disa natural disasters, be it hurricanes or particular diseases, be it HIV AIDS and how people have suggested that this is God's response uh, for the sin of a particular community, etc. What do you say to that? So uh, I take it that I'm not allowed to swear on your program, <laughs> um, but if I could, you would hear a series of swear words come out of my mouth and I would be simply making the point that that is not true. That the God that we worship, the God that gathers us together, the God that calls us into the world is not, is not a God that punishes us with pandemics and disasters and the social fabric destruction. That is not the God that we know and love. That might be someone else's God, but not yours and mine and not the church we belong to. 
Yeah, we like to say that uh, the synonym for God is love and the way we know God's love in the world is through justice. And that certainly is a contradiction to the thought that God would ever call us into a culture of death or call us to a place of injustice. And so Serene, as we say that, I wanna ask you've written a book called uh, Trauma and Grace. Uh, before I get to the trauma part, where do we see the grace? Where can we see the grace of God in this pandemic? Well, I always think about grace in two ways. And I think about grace as the love of God that even when we mess up and we're getting it wrong and we're acting out in our worst human self way, that the love of God just sits there. It is true and it is the reality of the world. But the second way I talk about grace is the way that sometimes we're able to wake up to the truth of love and its ultimate mm. power. And I've been amazed in this pandemic, uh, the people who have come forward and stepped into dangerous situations and been frontline caregivers, doctors, nurses, truck drivers, emergency, ambulance drivers, uh, the fire department. Uh, you see it in the teachers who get up every morning to teach their students online. I also see it just in the ways in which even in New York City alone and at Union, people so quickly adjusted and so um, earnestly uh, made the changes that were needed to protect lives. All of that just amazes me. And that's grace. That's pure grace and love. And you know what? We did all of that without having anybody sitting there telling us what to do. Human beings have an enormous capacity in love to figure out how to save life and to flourish. Mm, well said. Where are some of, or what are some of the invisible traumas, if you will, that you think the church and faith community must be attentive to as we navigate this crisis now and beyond? Well, I think, I mean, the most obvious traumas are the people who are at high risk for this disease and who won't get the health care they need to save their lives. Um, that's not only traumatic for them, uh, many of them eventually dying, but for their loved ones um, who are suddenly without a parent or a sister or a friend. Um, if you pull the lens back um, from what, for instance, we're experiencing here in New York City right now, and you look at the larger globe, um, I know from predictions that uh, coronavirus is about to hit Mexico, a place that has almost no infrastructure. And all of those towns that are set up along the border that are crowded so much that you can hardly move without touching another person are going to be mass graves as this pandemic works its way across uh, North America and Central America. Um, I think there's other hidden traumas. I, I can share with you just one that I'm experiencing um, that I think many others are is my father um, is in a nursing home. Um, he's in hospice care and he has serious dementia and he treasures the time that me and my two sisters are able to spend with him. Um, just holding his hand and sharing memories and we can't get into uh, the hospice care to see him now. And he's suffering alone, he's afraid, and um, we can't be there for him. Um, I know it's a health necessity, um, but that's not the way we imagine um, the dying of our parents if, if we have 
the capacity to imagine it as our hearts tell us to. I think there's gonna be ongoing trauma um, that's going to affect kids who come from schools um, that are not able to go online quickly. Um, the, the, the way that this will put them behind in the educational system, they will feel for years. They'll probably feel it all the way into their capacity to get into college. And it will be a life marked by the trauma of that absence. Um, I could go on and on, but the, yeah, but the no, trauma is so terrible. No, thank you. And, I, and I'm very sorry to, and I've known you've been going through this uh, with your father and uh, I'm sorry uh, that you have to go through that, which is already difficult, has been made even more difficult, this kind of transition. What, what do you say, uh, what would you say to people who are isolated, feeling alone and are afraid? Well, first of all, I would say, and this is my theological voice, that they are not alone and that the love of God is stronger than life or death, stronger than the principalities and powers of this world. And you are held and wrapped in the love of God and the grace of God. Uh, the second thing I would say is find a phone, find a computer, find an iPad, find someone who has it and talk to people. Don't isolate yourself, hear another human voice. Um, even if it means just turning on the TV and, and seeing someone else doing something, this does not have to be a cause for utter isolation. And, and it's very important in the midst of that, um, facing all the struggles we are to find someone that you can really laugh with. And I can't wait till um, we start to have uh, the COVID-19 jokes that are really good jokes, but that remind us that we're human beings and we need to smile and we need to play and we need to stretch and run and be um, or have our place for our souls to open. Yeah, I'm reminded as you say that, a time to laugh that uh, I think it was Peter Berger, who's a, sociolo who's a sociologist of religion that said that laughter was a signal of transcendence. And yeah, yeah. I think it is, it's like God breaking in, reminding us of the joy of living and the joy of life. And, and, and we find ourselves sometimes laughing, don't we, in the strangest times when we aren't <laughs> supposed to laugh. And that's God breaking in. Serene, as we conclude this conversation, and thank you for such a rich conversation, and I want to ask you as president of Union, as a faith leader in this nation, as a leading theologian in this nation, what is the message that you would like to leave for churches and those training future faith leaders uh, at this time? To be church, to mm. be what we've always been called to be, to be a witness to love in the world and an activist for justice in the world, to do that with all of your heart and soul and mind and you are called in this moment to innovate ways to do that because we associate activism with hands-on engagement. Right now, we can't touch people with our hands, with our breath. We need to learn how to touch them with our words and our soul. So this is the generation that gets to reinvent what justice means in terms of how it's enacted. You guys go for it. Dr. Serene Jones. What a perfect way to end as a call, 
as an inspiration to live into the best of who we can be and who we are called to be as church in the world. Thank you.